Hi, everyone. We thank you for joining us for today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by JJ Keller. Just letting you know as you file in, we're going to let some more folks do so and get started here in about one minute. Hi again, everyone. Letting you know as you file in, you are in the right place. This is the Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by JJ Keller. Letting you know we're going to get things going in about 30 seconds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Are you meeting OSHA's first aid requirements? Sponsored by JJ Keller. My name is Kevin Drewley. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine and will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well. In a few minutes, we'll start a presentation, but first let's review some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and may not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not necessarily mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we may not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. At the end of this webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Mark Stromey and Ray Shishti. Mark is a senior EHS editor at JJ Keller who joined the organization in 1994. He develops content for various JJ Keller publications and specializes in OSHA construction and general industry regulations. Mark also is an authorized OSHA outreach construction trainer who is well-versed in fielding questions from safety pros to assist them with challenges. Ray is an AHS editor at JJ Keller, joining the organization in 2017. Ray brings 15 years of EHS experience in various industries, including EPC projects, construction, railway, fossil fuel power plants, gas distribution and transmission, electrical transmission, and retail. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation. Mark, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining Ray and I today. We know everybody's super busy, um, and we hope this is worthwhile. Today's webcast is brought to you by the J.J. Keller Safety Management Suite, finally a safety solution that works as hard as you do. The safety management suite streamlines compliance at every level of your business, making it easy to develop, implement, and maintain an industry-specific program. And because your success is our priority, today's attendees will be offered a complimentary access to the compliance resources and tools in the safety management suite. On behalf of JJ Keller uh, Safety Management Suite, thank you for joining us. All right, so Ray and I are gonna go through some of the more common questions that we get about these requirements. A lot of people are, it is a kind of a confusing subject. Uh, we're gonna cover what you see on your slide, the uh, applicable standards, first aid emergency care, first aid supplies, kits, CPR and AED requirements, a lot of questions on those. So the important thing here is send in your questions throughout the uh, webcast so we can get a chance to look at them and, and answer as many as we can. So the first thing to keep in mind here is that OSHA requires employers to provide a safe and healthy workplace that's reasonably free from occupational hazards. But you know, it is unrealistic to expect accidents not to happen. So employers must also provide access to emergency medical care and first aid supplies. And these have to uh, match the conditions of the workplace. So every workplace could possibly have a different um, set of 
whatever you need in your first aid kit. You may need a CPR qualified individual. You may need an AED. The specifics, uh, as I said, are going to depend on the circumstances and conditions of your workplace. You also want to take a look at the types of injuries that you can reasonably expect to uh, see because uh, that's important. And also you want to base your kits and supplies on past experience. All right, so the first thing to know is this first aid supplies, or first aid standard applies to all employees in general industry. You don't have to have a minimum number of employees for the standard to apply. And keep in mind, the standard applies to office settings as well as factories and industrial settings. The standard does not apply to state or local governments or to employees who fall under the jurisdiction of other federal agencies, although in some cases these other agencies may be voluntarily following OSHA regs. In interesting, the U.S. Postal Service follows OSHA standards uh, and they're treated just like private employers uh, complete with monetary fines. Finally, the uh, U.S. military branches, they're not covered by the OSHA regulations, but sometimes individual branches of the military, they establish their own policies that enforce OSHA regulations. So keep that in mind. Uh, now, let's talk about the actual regulation here. You can see that on the screen, 1910.151. Um, the standard itself, if you've ever really looked at this, it does not provide much detail because it's only three paragraphs long. It's about a hundred words. Um, and the standard covers the topics of workplace medical consultation, the employer's responsibility to provide emergency medical care and first aid supplies in the workplace, and then it talks about emergency eye washes and showers. So all the real important information, the how-to of going about this, um, these have to be found in other OSHA materials and documentation. And we're gonna be talking about that in just a little bit. Ray and I will give you the lowdown on that. So here are those other sources of information. Excuse me a second. Um, all right, the wording of the standard itself doesn't specifically address the issues of an, the number of emergency responders an employer must have. It doesn't talk about what training they need to have, and it doesn't talk about the type and amount of first aid supplies, and it doesn't talk about AEDs. So there are several OSHA standards that do have first aid component uh, specifics to them, and we're going to talk about those a little later, and now I'm going to move to this slide. All right. So we talked about those other sources of information. Here they are. Um, this is what you need to use to really get to the bottom of what you need to supply. There's letters of interpretation. There's that non-mandatory appendix A to the standard. That's really, really good. Uh, there's that OSHA best practices guide. And then the ANSI standard on workplace first aid kits. That's a must to look at. We're going to talk about all these. Uh, and Ray and I are going to, we're going to talk about these and I'm going to turn it over to Ray to continue. All right. Terrific. Uh, welcome everybody. Thank you, Mark. So let's uh, start talking a bit about the standards, right? Mark mentioned that OSHA has this first aid standard. So when uh, we look at 1910-151, paragraph A, uh, in particular, requires employers to have medical personnel readily available. And that means uh, a doctor uh, could be an occupational nurse, uh, perhaps a local emergency responder, but have them available to consult about um, types or amounts of first aid supplies that you need for your workplace. Um, it also uses the word plant health program. And uh, that basically just refers to the overall safety and health condition of the employees um, at your facility or in your workplace. Um, many employers uh, do have, uh, you probably have some sort of an existing contract, perhaps with an occupational doctor uh, or some clinic that you use for your pre-employment physicals. So whenever you're hiring your new uh, employees to your workplace. You may already have something set up with a third party um, where you do these health screenings, uh, but 
You could also use that offsite medical facility or doctor or clinic um, to help review your first aid plans and procedures. Uh, they can certainly look at the types and amounts of supplies that you uh, have for your facility. If you opt to have an AED program, they could certainly look at that, comment on it. Um, and then also, uh, we'll be talking a bit about first aid training later, but they can also take a look at that. Also remember, um, there's states out there that have specific uh, state OSHA or approved state OSHA plans and uh, yeah, you can have more stringent requirements like California under CalOSHA, where it requires um, a health professional to review and approve your first aid supplies. And so uh, while these may be uh, federal requirements, you may have more specific requirements for your state if you um, have operations in one of those state OSHA approved plan states. All right, a little bit more. We're still talking about 1910-151. We'll jump from paragraph A to B. So paragraph B, B is probably uh, the part of the standard that causes the most questions or certainly where we get most of our questions from our clients. And it requires employers to provide prompt first aid treatment for injured uh, employees. And this is either by having one or two things, um, either you're gonna have trained uh, first aiders on site in your workplace, um, or by making sure that your local emergency responder um, uh, can be at the work site within a reasonable amount of time. And we'll get into more of what that means. But this paragraph also requires that um, adequate first aid supplies are readily available. Um, and so again, this brings up a lot of questions and we'll try to help clarify what that means more. So um, there's a letters of interpretation. Um, OSHA says that to meet the requirements of the standard, the part A and part B that I just mentioned, the emergency care has to be available uh, pretty much within no more than three to four minutes at your workplace, um, wherever you're gonna have serious accidents or they're likely to occur. And serious accidents could be something like a fall, um, maybe a suffocation, issue, electrocution, amputation, those would be examples of more serious types of first aid. Uh, so three to four minutes. Um, if you um, uh, perhaps maybe have an office environment, maybe you don't have uh, manufacturing activities or other high or other types of work activities where you anticipate serious type injuries, um, OSHA says that, um, you know, 15 minutes may be more reasonable. And so it uses more discretion in, in enforcing its first aid requirements for those types of settings like offices. Um, outside emergency responders um, can be trained EMTs, uh, local ambulance services, uh, or you can have other uh, suitably trained medical responders. I typically what I would do is depending upon my work setting, especially if I was um, managing safety at a facility or in a plant, I would build relationships with those local first responders to see if they could get out to the plant. Um, even if they could get to the front gates, sometimes you know, we were in a building or even in the building in a very you know, complex area where if somebody needed um, a response time of the three to four minutes for serious accidents, um, it could be 30 minutes plus by the time they could get there. And so I highly recommend, you'll hear me say this often throughout the webcast, do a mock scenario, uh, time it and make sure that it makes sense. All right, uh, let's talk a bit more about relying on outside assistance. So if you decide to rely entirely on outside responders, uh, just some tidbits to remember. Um, you want to be able to contact the responders, as I mentioned, make arrangements with them in advance, um, ask them lots of questions. You know, are they volunteer responders? Um, do they have station responders there um, that can immediately receive a call and respond, or do they have to come from somewhere? I think it's important um, to know that. It's important to know because it could delay the response time. 
Um, so even if you have a, a large fire department or what have you, make those prior arrangements. I highly recommend it. Um, as part of the arrangements, um, you got to make sure that, uh, that they're going to be available, not just when you call them, but perhaps you have a night shift or a swing shift running. Um, and so don't just uh, clarify their availability during normal business hours, like a, like a day shift. If you have odd and end schedules, if you have emergency pop-up work, weekend work, holiday work, uh, clarify their avail availability for those times as well. Um, and you want to make sure that the provider has the necessary capacity to meet your needs. Um, so if the provider you use, such as an ambulance service, has maybe just one ambulance, uh, that ambulance could be tied up transporting a patient related to some other situation halfway across the city. And so I think it's important to make sure that you make that assessment, especially if you're uh, living in a, um, a smaller area that may not have a large agency and maybe they have limited resources. You'll have to do your due diligence and find all of that out um, and remember those timeframes, as I mentioned. All right. Good information, Ray. And we're getting some really good questions, so please continue to send those in. Uh, response time, you can uh, use all the information here uh, to decide if the outside responders can help you meet the requirements of the rule or, you know, maybe you want to have trained employees in house. So if you uh, decide to use outside responders as way mentioned, your first aid, emergency first aid plan may be to have employees call 911. Makes a lot of sense. Now keep in mind, you have to provide them adequate means for doing so. So if you uh, you know, a lot of people have cell phones, but if you don't want those, if you don't allow those on the shop floor or something, uh, they keep them in their locker, then you need to have a telephone uh, that they can call from to dial 911. And another important thing, you must not discourage any trained employees from offering first aid as a good Samaritan, even if you have not designated them as workplace responders. If you discourage trained employees from offering aid, that will definitely get on OSHA's uh, bad side. Uh, so please do not do that. Now, moving on here, there's a letter of interpretation dated December 11th, 1996. It's still valid. OSHA was asked if an employer would be in violation if their workplace policy required employees to call 911 in emergencies. I just talked about that. OSHA said that employees should never be discouraged or prevented from calling 911. The purpose of the first aid is to give injured employees some level of medical attention as quickly as possible uh, to bridge that gap between the accident and when full uh, medical treatment is available. So rendering first aid should be encouraged by trained employees in addition to calling 911. So Call 911 if you have trained employees, they should be working with the victim. In this case, an employer would not be in violation of OSHA's first aid standard by issuing such a policy statement. Uh, again, as long as the policy itself doesn't discourage rendering of first aid. Uh, and I know some companies are pretty picky about that. So that's why we like to talk about that. All right. Some standards have specific requirements for having trained first aid responders on site or in house. Now, the two that you see listed on the screen may not apply to you. I know Ray worked in the second one, 1910.266, uh, the logging standard, and then 269 electric power generation. This logging standard requires mandatory first aid training for logging employees. That's because a lot of times they're out in the middle of nowhere and they, they can't wait for you know, medical attention to come uh, from another source. So that's probably the logic there. And then the electric power standard requires you have persons trained in first aid at work locations in that industry. Uh, again, reliance on outside emergency responders in that industry is not an option. All right, let's move on to employer liability because we get, this is a pretty big one. Um, there's another OSHA letter of interpretation that said uh, the, the, they asked the agency uh, about whether the employer would be cited if a trained employee were to forget their training, administer the wrong first aid, or the trained employee would not administer any at all. They might just panic. 
OSHA responded, and this is pretty comforting. Um, it, their response is that if a trained employee were to panic in the emergency situation and not administer first aid or heaven forbid, give the wrong first aid, improper first aid, OSHA would not cite the employer. Uh, they said that the employer has met the obligation under the standard by having trained individuals on site to render first aid. The standard only requires employees to be trained in first aid, but doesn't it doesn't address the actual performance of that person doing that first aid in an emergency situation. The thing is, uh, OSHA may conduct an investigation if, if they felt it was necessary. Uh, they would just, in that case, they would be looking to ensure that proper first aid and CPR training and certifications were in order. And I'll turn that over to Ray. All right, great information, Mark. Um, let's talk a bit more about readily available. We kind of dipped our toes in the water. Uh, this is a bit more information here. So if we go back to uh, the OSHA standard, 1910-151 paragraph B, uh, says that you must have adequate first aid supplies available, but it really doesn't go into more detail um, much other than that. So we've looked at letters of interpretations to garner some more or get a better idea of what that means. And so if you look at uh, an LOI dated February 2nd, 2007, it states that if the employer has persons who are trained in first aid, then adequate first aid supplies must be made available for use. Um, so uh, also I've spoken to several OSHA compliance officers and what I've gathered from my conversations with them is that they pretty much expect employers to have basic first aid supplies available. Um, even if they don't have designated first aid responders on site, um, despite what the letters of interpretation states. Getting a little bit more here into um, readily available. All right. So the term readily available, as I mentioned, isn't defined clearly in the standard. Um, I had mentioned that um, OSHA, the guidance that they give on it is that this is three to four minute response time for providing first aid. Um, and so you should again, um, keep that in mind as you build out your first aid response programs. So the trained employees who are gonna be rendering first aid in your workplace, uh, they have to have access to first aid supplies. And I'll define what that means here in a bit. Um, so they gotta have the supplies uh, where they're gonna be providing care to your injured worker. And those first aid supplies should be located in an easily accessible area. Um, the first aid provider generally should not have to travel through several uh, doorways, over obstacles, long hallways, stairwells to access the supplies. So if you have a real complex work environment, um, you have multiple levels, um, this could mean a number of things. Maybe you have multiple kits, um, you could have your first responders give them a drop bag with um, certain first aid supplies in them. I've done both. Um, I've positioned kits on walls at different levels, and I've also had my first responders given them a jump bag to carry with them. So either or is fine. Getting into um, first aid supplies, this is a common question we get. What, I, what do I really need to have in my first aid kit? Um, so as we mentioned, OSHA doesn't go into detail about it, um, but here are some resources that you can refer to. Uh, we can certainly look at Appendix A, uh, the best practice guide. Uh, we can look at, um, uh, and that's Appendix A of 1910-151. That gives you an idea. Um, we can also look at ANSI. Uh, Z308.1. Uh, the previous standard was 2015. That's um, been updated this year. Um, and so you can also use ANSI as a reference um, for determining your workplace first aid kit requirements. Um, all right. Um, also, you want to take a look at um, 
a couple of other resources. Um, while remember that while federal OSHA doesn't require that you have a doctor's approval for your first aid supply list, um, those relationships that I had described earlier, uh, maybe you're doing um, fit for duty, um, hire checks, maybe you have a relationship or a contract with your doctor's office or a doctor's office, that would be another good place to talk to somebody and get some ideas about what you could include in your first aid kit. Um, states like uh, California under Cal OSHA, they say that employers have to have adequate first aid materials available. Um, California under Cal OSHA, they require that the consulting physician um, have those readily available. Um, you want to periodically check your first aid supplies um, so that any used items um, that you have get replaced uh, on a periodic basis. You want to check for things like expiration dates. Um, you want to be able to adjust your supplies based on your um, uh, demands. Um, if you see that certain things are being used, um, you want to make sure that you have some system in place to replace them. Uh, Bloodborne pathogens, if that applies to your workplace, you want to make sure you have things like gloves, masks, eye protection, that kind of a thing. Um, with your first aid supplies, if your workplace responders will be exposed to bloody or, or to blood or bodily fluids in the course of their employment, that's really where that bloodborne pathogens kit uh, will get triggered. And you can get those from your vendor. Um, you know, I often, wherever I bought my first aid kits, they typically ha had some sort of a bloodborne pathogen kit that was an add-on um, that you could station or position with your first aid um, supplies. Now, OSHA does provide us a starting point, um, as I mentioned, as far as having those first aid supplies. Um, as I mentioned, you can use that appendix in 1910-151, um, but they also refer us to ANSI's first aid standard, that Z308. Uh, and so you can look at that as well. And with that, Mark is actually going to jump us into ANSI. Hey, Ray. Yes, sir. Uh, I apologize to everybody. Uh, I'm the one clicking these slides and it's a very touchy little button here. Yeah. Yeah, I apologize because I jumped over a slide that we definitely need to talk about. Uh, yeah, let's, back. let's, yep, let's pair back one. Again. Yep, -er. here we go. This and I will then take over. Okay, now sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, let's uh, touch on this here real quick. Um, so, Again, common question, what supplies do I need? Here's a, there's actually another letters of interpretation out there. This one's dated August 4th, 1994, um, where it again, it stresses the point of, hey, you gotta have these required supplies. They have to be appropriate. Um, I mentioned Appendix um, A talking about ANSI, uh, where you can get more information about, hey, what first aid supplies do I need? But another good one is your 300 law. Um, you're able to take a look at your OSHA 300 log and, and see what's been trending over the past several years. Um, do you have, for example, do you have burns? Um, do you have a certain particular type of injury that's happening? And if you do, then uh, make sure that you have those types of first aid supplies definitely on hand. Um, best practice guide, as I've been mentioning um, says specifically that you should have the kinds of first aid supplies on hand to reflect the kinds of injuries that are occurring in your workplace. So again, if you're looking for that additional source of um, what type of supplies do I need, especially while you're assessing your workplace, those are some additional ideas. And again, don't forget to talk to your medical professionals. And with that, Mark will take us into ANSI. All right, now we're back on track. So uh, we should start by saying that the ANSI standards become mandatory only when and if they're adopted by reference um, by OSHA, it's called adoption by reference. Now, this standard that you see uh, has not been adopted by OSHA, but OSHA does refer employees to it as a source of guidance for, you know, for example, a smaller workplace. Now, this standard provides a list of the requirements for two different types of kits. We got the Class A kit. That's just a basic a collection of items to deal with common workplace injuries. 
And then they have the class B kit. Uh, that's for more popular, you know, if you have more employees, uh, you have a more complex uh, works, work site, um, or you have a high risk workplace. So you can go with class A, you know, maybe an office would have that, but then pretty much anybody else is gonna want to be. Uh, the contents of the class A first aid kit listed in the standard should be adequate, like I said, for an office. And then um, a plant or a manufacturing a facility goes with B. Uh, and not only do you have one kit, uh, you're gonna, as Ray said, you may have multiple, multiple kits positioned. You may have different types of first aid equipment and supplies in a lot larger quantities because you know, band-aids can get used up pretty fast. So the JJ Keller Safety Management Suite, we're sponsoring today's event. So we'd like to offer our attendees uh, access to our compliance resources and tools at no cost to help simplify your safety efforts. The JJ Keller Safety Management Suite offers 120 plus pre-written safety plan templates on hundreds of award-winning training programs, incident tracking, and much more. So there is the poll. And let me see. All right. So along with that poll that you see on your slide, uh, you can have free access to our compliance resources and tools in the site. And also, we're going to email you the uh, digital copy of our white paper on first aid obligations. All right. So let's talk. We've already gotten quite a few questions on this. Um, so let's see. All right. OSHA nor ANSI addresses first aid kits specifically. They only talk about supplies. There's no regulatory requirement to have a certain number of kits or where these kits are going to be located. OSHA only says that adequate first aid supplies must be available. There's no requirement that your first aid kits be mounted on a wall, although uh, almost every manufacturing facility I've been in, uh, they are mounted in a, you know, in a cabinet or something with a sign saying, you know, first aid here. Uh, and also if they're mounted, they don't get lost or people don't pick them up and carry them to where they need to provide assistance and then nobody else can find it. So it's the employer's responsibility to assess the needs of the workplace. And of course, tailor those first aid kits and their placement to your workplace. OSHA is specific about this. The decisions on supplies and kits and locations and amounts, you have to do that with your consulting medical professional that's right in the standard 1910.151. All right. Now, this is what I was going to talk about here. We've gotten quite a few questions on expired products. Um, it's, a, it, it's a very common question. An employer said that they were written up for having expired products in their first aid kits. Um, the employer acknowledged it was obviously a best practice to remove expired items from the first aid kits. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. But there really isn't anything specific in that OSHA standard about even having expired products. Um, and if it is that prohibited, they do not address that. Uh, that only says adequate first aid supply should be readily available. And then on top of it, to make things even more confusing in that best practices guide, there's nothing in there about expired products. So the only way to really figure this out is going to take a look at that ANSI standard. And that has something specific to this. So it says any first aid supply beyond its marked expiration date should, should be removed from the kit and replaced. So a prohibition against outdated supplies. Another place, as you can see on the screen there, you might want to look at your state health statutes, or if you're a state plan state, look at your state plan uh, regulation on this because that may have it. And then of course you would have to follow that. Now, here's another question that we've gotten today. Um, keys must be available if you're going to lock your cabinet. OSHA talks about this in a January 23rd, 2007 
letter of interpretation. Uh, they're saying first aid cabinets may be locked. However, they must be readily accessible in the event of an emergency. Locking the cabinet may limit accessibility. So employers are allowed to lock up first aid supplies as long as those supplies can be obtained quickly if needed. That's it. There's no other guidance on that. So keep in mind, if you need a key to get into those first aid supplies, uh, if your cabinet's locked or whatever, or if they're in a drawer or what, wherever you keep them, that key always has to be available. So what happens if the person with that key is gone? What if they call, called out sick or they left the facility to go somewhere uh, or their shift is over? you're not gonna be in compliance. So one idea, if you're gonna lock your cabinets is to provide keys to several people, maybe a manager on call that day, uh, maybe somebody in maintenance that you know is always gonna be there and then let give them keys and then let everybody know who has the key. That's really the only way um, you can do this and be in compliance. All right. Another, another big area here is AEDs, automated external defibrillators. OSHA says that they should be considered when selecting first aid supplies and equipment. Now, all work sites are potential candidates for these programs because of the possibility of what? Sudden cardiac arrest. Each workplace, you should assess your requirements for an AED program as part of your first aid response. So they're pretty common now, you see them everywhere. Using AEDs as soon as possible after sudden cardiac arrest within three to four minutes. There we go with the three to four minute thing. This is interesting, can lead to a 60% survival rate. On-site AEDs, they save precious time. They improve survival odds because of course, like medical supplies, like first aid supplies, they're gonna be used before the outside emergency responders arrive. And like Ray said, if you have a big facility, it may take a while for them to actually get into the facility and get to where they're needed. So that's why with you know AED technology, they're they're safe, effective, they're pretty easy to use. Consider these issues when you're going to set up this worksite AED program. What would they be? Well, physician oversight, compliance with local, state, and federal regulations. Very important to know what those are. You want to coordinate with your local EMS, you're going to have, of course, a quality assurance program. And then as with pretty much everything nowadays, uh, you're going to do a periodic review. There's no specific time for that, but uh, you definitely want to do that. And I'll turn it over to Ray. All right. Thank you, Mark. Um, get a lot of questions about OTC medications over the counter medications. Um, and these basically are just simply those kinds of medications that anybody can pretty much buy at one of your local drugstores without a prescription. So, um, usually called just OTC over the counter, um, ocean really doesn't address over the counter medications. Um, so we look for some other sources for some guidance. Uh, you can see the, uh, the ANSI first aid standard. Um, says that if you do offer over-the-counter drugs in your first aid kit, that those medications should be packaged in a single dose, uh, tamper-resistant uh, packaging, and that those medications should not contain ingredients that would be known to cause drowsiness to your worker. So we get some guidance there. Um, I often like to remind um, folks that there's some liability issues too. Um, so if you do offer them, it's important you speak to uh, a legal professional, um, get their spin, especially on your, on your local requirements. But a typical uh, risk example that comes up is what happens if the worker were to have some sort of an allergic reaction to something that was provided to them. So you give them, give them some sort of over-the-counter medication. Now they've had this reaction or they don't take it, they take it home and maybe a family member, a child, uh, or what have you, gets access to the medication, takes it, and has some sort of a uh, medical reaction. And so now you're 
now you're having to dice through the liability and the legal issues that could come up of that. So if you're using OTC medications, lots of things to consider, but those are the main ones that I would look at. First aid rooms on the next slide. Um, I'll jump into that. And then the, this is pretty common. Um, I often, uh, when, when I was out in the field, I used to joke about it. Don't have a shoebox uh, first aid program, meaning somebody's coming to you. Hey, I need a Band-Aid. You pull out that uh, shoebox that's covered in dust and you pulled out that crinkled, uh, you know, Band-Aid or what have you. Um, have a first aid room. Have a first aid area. Um, this is not something that's covered by the standard. Um, it may be covered under specific state OSHA programs, um, but this is something that you should certainly think about and you should address. Um, as with most of the first aid related topics, um, uh, as I mentioned, you're not gonna get much advice or feedback from OSHA in its standards. Um, and so it's something to think about. Um, the bloodborne pathogen standards, um, you know, as I mentioned, if you have exposure to blood or bodily fluids, you're going to want to make sure that your first aid room has um, sources for that as well, in particular PPE. What I would do is I would go to those medical sales. A lot of times doctors' offices were going out of business and I'd go pick up an examining table. I'd get, you know, very discounted items and I would set up a, you know, a, medic, uh, a medical office looking first aid room where workers could come into a clean environment and they could get what they need. First aid training is important, um, it's very important. And uh, there's lots of different resources to get your first aid certifications, um, more common ones, American Heart Association, Red Cross, National Safety Council. Uh, key there is nationally recognized uh, training you'll wanna get and each of those has different timeframes for the certifications. There's a, a letters of interpretation out there that uh, OSHA discusses that nationally accepted and medically sound first aid programs um, that cover the fundamentals of first aid needs to meet the requirements of 1910-151, the first aid standard. So the, the specific content of your first aid programs needs to be consistent with what your work environment looks like and, and that is, that's in question and the type of work that you're going to be doing. Um, first aid training courses should include instruction in general first aid practices, um, you know, workplace specific hazards, knowledge, and skills. And there's going to be a number of elements that you need to include, but I would really scratch the surface by looking at what type of work are you doing, what type of facility do you have, and then kind of pair out. That'll, that'll kind of give you more ideas about, do I got to have hands-on skill training? What resources do I got to have? Where might you have to emphasize your training? You know, maybe you have a production or a work activity that could cause burns. You have hot work. And so you wanna place more emphasis on um, how to handle those burn type injuries. Um, and you also wanna emphasize what is quick response. As I talked about, you know, three to four minutes isn't a whole lot of time, especially if you have a complex environment um, as compared to maybe 15 minutes for an office setting where you have less than serious injuries. And so those are the kinds of things that I would cover um, in my first aid training. Not all inclusive, but those are the main ones. Skill assessment is um, very important. We highly recommend that you have some sort of a skill assessment associated with your training. Um, I like to do um, observations. I would do mock scenarios um, if I could be present um, when first aid was ongoing. That's typically the best. Um, people are in stressful environments and you'll be able to see their skills um, and make, make uh, corrective actions as needed. Written performance, performance assessments. And so when you do your training activities, quizzes and those types of things are all appropriate. Um, we recommend that you typically do um, some sort of a skills review at least every 12 months, especially for CPR and AED. You know, typically... Um, the industry finds that, you know, after folks get their certifications, it doesn't take much time, maybe six months on average for people to start lagging on their skills. And so it's important that they have some, some sort of vehicle to continue to keep up with that. 
um, especially retraining for any life-threatening emergencies that could occur um, at least annually. We highly recommend that you um, include those in your training programs, especially if you have things like certain medications or antidotes. If you have situations where folks have met alert bans, um, you'll want to address all of those in particular. But do those skills assessments. Mock scenarios are going to be your friend. Um, some more information, uh, you know, there's other standards out there besides 1910-151. Um, if you're working in permit required confined spaces, there's first aid requirements, um, logging operations. If you're in the powerhouse industry or the uh, utility industry and you fall under 1910-269, they have requirements. If you have a dive team or a contractor that's coming on site, maybe your plant is next to a waterway, then there's training requirements for first aid. And then also uh, back to the powerhouse industry, the transmission and distribution sector also has particular requirements as well. Um, online training, um, especially with the pandemic has been the new kid on the block. Um, the, what you're gonna find with the online training is especially with Red Cross or the American Heart Association, it's gonna be a two-part um, class. A lot of times you sign up, you log in, you do a, um, an online portion, and then you'll have to show up to do some sort of a physical skills assessment. Uh, maybe they're bandaging, they're performing CPR. If you have tagged on the AED portion, then that will be a requirement too. But I can't stress enough, it's really hard to box it into just online training. You have to have that practical portion. And with that, Mark's going to jump into CPR training. Very good. All right. OSHA only requires that your responders have CPR training if you fall under one of the specific OSHA standards, uh, that requirement. We'll look at that in just a bit. The best practices guide that we've been talking about rec recommends that responders have CPR certifications. And it's really usually part of the training for organizations like the American Red Cross, American Heart Association. And it really should be part of your emergency responders training. Also, if you have AEDs in the workplace, your responders will have to have CPR training in order to understand and use those AEDs properly. Uh, again, we talked about state laws. They may require that only trained responders use them. So these are the standards that specifically require that you have employees available who are trained in CPR. Again, we talked about sudden cardiac arrest asphyxiation, electrocution, ex exertion issues uh, are more likely to occur on the job than at home, but that's not always the case, of course. So if your operation falls under any of these standards, you have to have responders trained in CPR. Okay, so Ray talked about the bloodborne pathogens. So if you have employees who have a job description about providing first aid or they're designated to render first aid. Um, they're covered by the Occupational Exposure to Bloodborne Pathogen Standard. Uh, this coverage is uh, not whether employees have been trained in first aid, but whether they're also designated as responsible for rendering uh, medical assistance. Now, an employer can provide first aid training to employees without designating that employee as a first aid provider. Uh, that will not trigger the Bloodborne Pathogen Standard coverage. However, providing first aid training in order to comply with a specific requirement of another OSHA regulation, like we talked about logging electric power generation, that constitutes a de facto designation of those employees. So for the purpose, uh, they're gonna fall under that bloodborne pathogen standard. Uh, also, uh, you should note that uh, employees who are neither trained nor designated in the site emergency response plan, but who are expected or directed to render first aid would also be covered. They must be provided the protection of the bloodborne pathogen standard. And what does that all mean? They have to be trained. Uh, they have to be provided uh, PPE and post-exposure follow-up if they are exposed during an incident. All right, uh, before I turn it back over to Rain, we wrap this up to get to some of your questions. Safety data sheets. Um, they're not required because OSHA specifically exempts drugs intended for personal consumption by employees while in the workplace that is first aid supplies from coverage 
So no, you do not have to have an SDS for these supplies. And I'll turn it to Ray. All right, thank you, Mark. Yeah, if you, if you have hazardous locations as part of your workplace assessment, make sure you include those as well. Um, you know, in particular, if you have uh, intrinsically safe areas um, or you have certain hazardous waste or what have you, but if you have a hazardous location, you're going to have very particular first aid requirements or first aid needs. And so it's going to be important that you understand things like the PPE that's required. You're going to have different parameters for your instructor-led training. Um, so make sure you include those as well. On the next slide, working alone, very, very important topic, the common topic we get from our clients. Um, you want to make sure that the three to four minute response time um, also is considered if you have workers in work alone situations. Um, you want to look at um, and making sure that what are the kinds of first aid supplies that are needed. Um, you know, because if you have that worker working alone and they have that first aid kit, can they self-render help? That kind of a thing. But what I would typically do is, is I would make sure that we had some system in place where either we were calling and checking on workers, um, that worker could call. If they didn't check in at a certain interval, then we sent in the cavalry to see if they were okay. Um, some sort of system needs to be put in place if you got those workers in those work alone situations. Um, on the next page, keeping your program current, um, I would have some process where you're looking at making sure that everything is up to date, at least on an annual basis. And this is going to be things like your training, um, your equipment, your supplies, your policies, that kind of thing, and eliminate outdated policies. But that should be done no less than at least on an annual basis. As a quick recap, we covered quite a bit of stuff. We talked about the applicable standards, both on the OSHA and ANSI side of the fence. We discussed first aid emergency care. We talked a bit about uh, first aid supplies and what your kit should have. And Mark covered CPR and AED. Um, if you haven't already elected for free access to all of our compliance management tools in the JJ Keller Safety Management Suite, here's going to be another opportunity for you to do that. The Safety Management Suite provides access to hundreds of award-winning training programs and thousands of customizable training resources, things like PowerPoint presentations, five-minute safety talks, classroom exercises, quizzes, and much, much more. Let us know your interests, and we'll also send you our First Aid Obligations white paper. And with that, let's move into questions. Well, excellent. Great job, Mark and Ray. Uh, thanks for sharing your insights and expertise today. Uh, before we do get started with that Q&A, just want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Uh, your input is very important as it helps us to improve our future webcasts. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button to submit. If we don't get to your question today, all unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers. And now we will get to those questions. Uh, first one is from Mark. It asks, Mark, can you lock first aid cabinets? Absolutely, we talked about that uh, maybe halfway through. Uh, again, if you do lock them, you need to provide uh, your employees with the ability to know where the key is and have a key available at all times. So uh, that's pretty much that answer. Moving on, one for Ray and it asks, does OSHA require companies to have an AED on site? Um, great question. No, OSHA doesn't require or place a duty to have an AED, although it suggests that it's a great idea, recognizing that it's a medical device, great life-saving measures. Um, if you are interested in having one, it is considered a medical device. Most of the devices fall under FDA where you're going to have to have a prescription, but do check your state laws to see what the specific requirements are. But no, OSHA doesn't mandate that you have one. Next question says, my department has an EHS audit in November. We've been told that Band-Aids are to be tossed within five years of the manufactured date, even if they have not been opened and appear to be in good condition. Is this the standard? Yeah, typically. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Okay, I'll go quick, Rain. You can add your two cents. So um, 
band-aids you know like they're wrapped up in a, that paper they can get kind of funky after a while depending on your environment that they're in so you need to look at those and if they if they're colored or they're discolored or something they look like they might be uh unusable you could open one up and see if they they still work but uh you, you know band-aids are not that expensive there's no requirement for five years but again use your judgment ray what do you think yeah, absolutely. Use your judgment. Manufacturers' recommendations are important. I often ran across this a whole lot where the Band-Aids look good. Sometimes I would just call the manufacturer and say, hey, my Band-Aids look good. But um, I, you, you should notice that even though it looks good, the packaging looks fine, sometimes the adhesive properties um, on the Band-Aid, they start to fade after that five-year period and they don't stay on as well as a fresh Band-Aid. But yeah, all the things we've just said. All right, next one is looking for a little uh, clarification. It says, I noticed the language on the slide saying that ANSI Z308.1-2015 was not adopted. So does OSHA recommend meeting this or is it just a, a plain recommendation? Yeah, it's just a recommendation. It's a guide. Employers don't have to follow it, but it's additional guidance that OSHA is giving as a source for workers to look and find out what type of first aid supplies that they could use in their workplace. kind of staying with, with some of these requirements, is there an OSHA requirement to have um, a process for the employees who work alone? Yeah, the your first aid program should cover all employees who could have um, occupational injuries. And so that would include even your singular employees in work alone situations, yes. With first aid kits, there was one looking again for a clarification, could you? Please review um, just what's expected of of type of these types of kits and, and how much does the work environment come into play with that? Ray, I'll yeah. take one quick. Sure. You can look at some of these other questions. There's a lot of really good ones coming in. So the the class A, the A kit is designed really for, you know, like an office or whatever. The B, as we mentioned, is is more extensive. There's more stuff in it. Uh, so you're going to use a B and a manufacturing facility or place an environment where there's more hazards and keep in mind you're going to use more than one kit and not only can you take what's in b you can uh, add to it and you know add more different types of supplies as needed it's going to depend on how fast these supplies get used up so it's also very important that you do an inspection of these supplies you know so that you can can tell how fast this stuff is getting used up because if, the, if it's getting used up every month or three weeks, then you need more supplies or you have to replenish that kit. So inspecting these kits, some, that's a job for somebody in safety or somebody to, to take a look at these. Ray? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Nothing to add there. Perfect, perfect response. Do you need medical supplies on hand if you don't have designated first responders there on site? Can you say that one more time? Do you need medical supplies on hand if there aren't designated first responders on site? Yeah, you have one or two options. Either you can use the offsite medical facility, but um, the other option is, is to provide your own in-house first responders. So if you're gonna have first responders, you need the first aid supplies. If you're gonna have the first aid supplies, you need a competent person like a first responder to be able to um, go ahead and and uh, use those first aid supplies. Another first aid related one, does the company need to provide first aid supplies if traveling for work in a personal vehicle and you're trained in first aid? Um, yes and no. Typically what I tell folks is, is that if you're in a small geographic area and you're able to get to a nearby hospital or offsite medical facility, that's great. You don't need them, but I usually recommend that you do have them because if it's a minor bump or bruise and you need just a Band-Aid, you don't want to be able to, you don't want to have to go to the hospital. So recommended, yes, but not mandatory. We're winding down as, and as Mark indicates, we've got a lot of good questions. Um, with, with training for first responders, does it need to be in person or is online acceptable? Uh, both, it should be, you can do online, as I mentioned, typically the online portions, Red Cross, American Heart Association, they'll have an online portion. 
but they'll require you to come and do the hands-on. Definitely have the hands-on portion to supplement the online. Well, again, as, as we are running out of time, any closing thoughts or anything left unsaid from either one of you guys? Uh, we appreciate everybody's attention. And as always, you know, check out our safety management suite at JJ Keller and uh, lots of great questions. We appreciate it. And one other, one other thing to add to that, um, with safety management suite, if you take that uh, trial, you can submit any regulatory questions that you have through the expert help portal in the service, and we can figure out the answer and get back to you. So uh, thanks again for joining us today and have a very, very safe day. Well, no, absolutely. And, and as always, we thank you both. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but uh, all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded along to Mark and to Ray. Um, once more, we hope that you take the time to fill out the forthcoming evaluation survey to give us your feedback. We do appreciate that as it helps us uh, with future webcasts. With that, we end today's safety. I'm sorry. With that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Once again, want to thank Mark Stromi, Ray Shishti, everyone at JJ Keller, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day.